The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I welcome you and I direct your attention this morning, if um, the Lord will be our helper, to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. Listen, listen to the words of God in this psalm. When the Lord turned again, the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This morning, the Lord being my helper, I want to preach about being like those that dream, like those that dream. This psalm was written by an unknown writer, but we know the Lord inspired it so it doesn't matter who actually wrote it but it's clear that whoever wrote this psalm had experienced the Babylonian captivity now the Babylonian captivity was one of the most awful periods in the history of the nation of Israel I've talked about it many times here but just by way of quick review uh, it was at the end of a long period of rebellion by the children of Israel they had gone away from God they had not uh, they had uh, uh, refused to observe the Sabbath years uh, that they were supposed to every seven years. They had, they, I, I could go down the list. They had slain their children in sacrifice to the gods of the, of the pagans. They had gone so far from God that God finally said, it is enough. And I am done putting up with this. I'm sending judgment on the land. And you know the story, the Babylonians under the king Nebuchadnezzar and others there came in and they destroyed Jerusalem, they tore down the temple of Solomon, they, they, they took, the, just shortly before this time, okay, the last king of Judah, who was a man named Jehoiakim, they took him captive and the last thing that that man saw, that that king of Judah saw before they put his eyes out, they didn't kill him, they put his eyes out, but before they did, they took his sons and they slew them before his face so that the last thing he saw with his earthly eyes was the murder of his children. And then they took him into captivity and kept him till his dying day as a trophy of, of the Babylonians against the Jews. What an awful tale to tell your children. What an awful thing to have to tell those that were born into captivity. Why are we here, Daddy? Why are we in a place, you, we keep, you keep talking about Jerusalem, you keep talking about the holy hill of Zion, but why are we here in the, in the Babylonian's kingdom, why are we not back there? And he had to explain, the father would have to explain to his children, this is what happened. And if he's telling them the truth, he'll say, by the way, it's because of what we've done. It's because of what we've done. What an awful thing to have to tell the children. No wonder Psalm 137 tells us that they, they wept 
and they couldn't sing. Psalm 137 is written years earlier by someone who was in the midst of the captivity. And it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. In verse 2, they even hung their harps upon the willows. They put the harps and the instruments of music away because they were of no use to a people who couldn't even sing, who had been taken down into captive. And they asked the question as he goes on down writing there in verse 4, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How can we? Now, we, we preached on that not too long ago, and there is a way, and they found the way, but it's not the same. Hey, we found a way to worship over the past two months, but it's not the same. <laughs> okay? It's not the same. But we can sing the Lord's song in a strange land, but you can't sing it like you can sing it in the Lord's house, in the Lord's land. You cannot, they could not properly worship God in a public way while they were in captivity. The temple was the main place of worship in that day, and the temple had been destroyed. And even while they were away and they tried to engage in the public worship of God or the private family worship of God in the way that they ought to worship Him, they were still restricted by the pagan rulers and in constant threat of harm and persecution. Read the book of Esther sometime. The book of Esther never mentions the name of God, but the working of God is clear throughout that book. And in that book, you find how that, how that a wicked man prompted the pagan king to prepare a, uh, a violent uh, assault upon the Jews. And by the grace of God and the providence of God, they were delivered. It's a bad place for God's people to be, strangers in a strange land. Strangers away from home, no peace. No liberty, and again, especially for the Jews. Because not only were they away from their homeland, they were away from the house of God, the temple that, that God had blessed Solomon to build and had, had blessed them to appear to them in. The Ark of the Covenant was seated there. The mercy seat on top of the Ark was there. The high priest would go in under the Holy of Holies uh, once a year and there would be this great day of atonement that would remind, it wouldn't put away sins, but it would remind them they are sinners and that their sins needed to be put away. And that a sacrifice needed to happen that would ultimately put them away forever. But they were away from the house of God. That's, what, that's one of their, that's one of their uh, uh, pinings in, in Psalm 137. In verse 4, they said, How shall we sing this Lord's song in a strange land? And then they say, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Let me just ask you a question. This isn't the temple, I know that. But this is the substitution for the temple where the children of God get together in our day. Is, is this something that, that we prefer above our chief joy out in the world? I mean, I love some things out in the world. I do. I love to, I love to watch some movies. I love to go hunting. I love to, I love to watch ball games. I have a lot. There's some joys out in the world. There's some pleasures we have out in the world. But, but, but listen, these Jews said, if, if I forget about 
Jerusalem, if I prefer not Jerusalem or the house of God or the worship of God above my chief joy in the world, let my tongue cleave to my mouth. Are we willing to pray that prayer? Is this not the the most important part of our lives? I, I know family, but listen, family is just an extension of the kingdom of God. Family is the building block for the church. And family, if it's done right, is an extension of this kingdom of God that we're experiencing here in a corporate way. The chief joy of our lives ought to be the kingdom of God. He said, we can't forget Jerusalem. If we do, oh, there's so many things that ought to happen to us. You remember what they said about Jerusalem? I I love this because I'll be honest with you. It applies to the church today. In Psalm 48, in verse 2, it says, Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. On the sides of the north, the city of the great king, God is known in her palaces for a refuge. As I said earlier, there's a lot of things I like in the world. There's a lot of things I enjoy doing and watching and participating in. Uh, But I'll tell you, beloved, uh, there's nothing in this world that I have found that is as beautiful for situation as as Mount Zion. As beautiful for situation as this place, which is the new Jerusalem, which is the new kingdom of God right here and now, the church of the living God. I love you all, and I love seeing you individually, but I love seeing you together. There's nothing like it. And those Jews were away from the place which was the joy of the whole earth for them. That song we just sang, that song, As Thirst the Heart, comes from Psalm chapter 42, and it's clearly written by someone who has enjoyed the blessings of corporate worship, worshiping God in, the, in a public way with the other people of God, and is now unable to do so. And listen to the words of the, of the song as well as the words of the hymn. As thirsts the heart for water brooks, so thirsts my soul, O God, for thee. It seeks for God and ever looks and longs the living God to see and longs the living God to see. Notice Psalm 42. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I'm away from the place of public worship and and I don't have access to it like I did. You know, sometimes we don't realize what we got until we lose it. <laughs> I tell you, beloved, that's been my experience over the past two months. Uh, I, think I, didn't ta- I don't think I took it for granted here, but I'll tell you, I'm not ever going to take it for granted again because I was, we were away from this. We were not able to be here for this, and it's still not back to normal. I get that. It's still not exactly the way it's going to be, I believe, before too long. But praise God, we're able to come back in a small way and be together. This man here said, when? When shall I come and appear before God? Now, I know there's a sense in which God is everywhere present and nowhere absent. Wherever you are, God is. But what he's talking about is when God is manifest into the, in, the, uh, in the assembly of the saints, when God's Spirit is moving and when we can feel the love flowing from breast to breast. What a great thing it is to be able to be in that situation. But this man 
is not in that situation. He said in verse 3, my tears have been my meat day and night. While they continually say unto me, where is thy God? You ever been made fun of in the world? You ever been made fun of? Yeah, where? You're trying to serve. Where is he? I, sometimes it's an atheist that says, yeah, you can't see him. Where is he? I don't see him, you know. Can't see him. Why, why should I believe in him? Where, where is your God? Sometimes it's somebody who's maybe a child of God that doesn't understand why we choose to come here. And in this simple, basic way, just worship the Lord with preaching, praying, and singing. Some people laugh about the term primitive. <laughs> I understand. Somebody asked me one time and said, does that mean y'all wear loincloths and carry clubs and drag your women around by the hair. I said, try it and see how that works. <laughs> it won't work too well, I'll tell you that. What that means, that's right, Brother James. What, that, what it means is, is primitive as in original, as in the going back to the original way, the first way. You know, my desire for this church is that if the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter were somehow to be transported from the first century to today and walk through those doors and sit down in, this, in, this, in one of these pews. Now, they wouldn't recognize the pews or the building or the, probably some of the songs we sing would be foreign to them. They wouldn't have heard them yet. They probably sang psalms out of the book of Psalms. But once the services started and the saints' voices lifted up together in song with no other distractions and, and the preaching of God's sovereign grace began to resound from this pulpit, I believe Peter and Paul would say, I recognize that. I remember that. That's the way we did it. It's a different setting, but it's the same approach. Praise God. That's what primitive means. <clears throat> Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. In other words, there was a time I got to go to church, and then at this time I'm not able to. Let me say this. I know we've all been restricted over the past couple of months from this, but do you realize that as we age, as we get older, that there may come a time when you can't go to church. Daddy got to that point. My father, the last time he was able to go to church was Father's Day of last year. And after that, he was too weak. His body was ravaged by disease, and he was unable to go. And it bothered him to the day he died. But he couldn't help it. He couldn't help it. And you, hey, we, the Lord tarries, we may get into that shape. I say that to remind us, let's don't take this for granted. Don't miss for some pleasure of the world when one day you'll think, I wish I could be there. Well, think about that sad song. Think about how sad it is, the condition that this man is in. And now... Let's look back over in Psalm 126 again, our text this morning. When the, notice there is a captivity. See, when the Lord turned again, the captivity. That means God's people are, are in a place that's not of their own choosing and not where they want to be. But notice that's not the end of the story and that's not the focus of this. This is written by someone who has been brought out of captivity and is able to go back 
to the house of God, back to the land of their fathers, back to the place where the Lord is. And listen to this. Notice the deliverance of God. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. And that word literally means returned the returning. When God returned again the captivity, when he returned the returning, he returned the captives back to the place where they were free again to worship him in the place they ought to be and in the way they ought to do it. Notice their reaction. We felt, we felt like them that dreamed. We thought it was a dream. It's too good to be, to be true. It, 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 we need to pinch ourselves and, and wake up. Or maybe, no, we don't need to pinch ourselves and wake up because the dream is too sweet. The place we are must, can it, can it really be true that we are here? You remember Peter? Now, we won't turn there, but sometime read the 12th chapter of Acts, the first 11 verses or so. He was in prison. Uh, they were being persecuted, and, and he was sitting between two guards, basically. And, and an angel of the Lord comes to him, and, and he stands up, and the shackles fall away, and he walks out. And this is what it says about Peter uh, in verse 9. He says, he went out and followed him, following the angel, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. He thought he was dreaming. It was too good to be true. <laughs> but listen to me. Here's where they are. <laughs> they are now, they have been delivered from the captivity, and they are able to go back to the house of God, back to the place where God has put his, uh, his stamp of approval, if you will, the place where God is giving his blessing. And, and now... <laughs> Those that had been laughed at, laughed. Those that had closed their mouths in despair uh, burst forth in song. The harps that once hung on the willow trees, they rang out now with tunes of joy. <laughs> oh my, uh, no, no harp, no song ever sounded sweeter than a song that has been silent for so long. I'll tell you, you haven't heard, yeah, I, I remember not too long ago, one of my great uh, one of my favorite groups in the in, in when I was growing up was the Statler Brothers. The Statler Brothers, I knew every song. Brother Ralph knows that. We used to sing them all the time going down to swimming lessons. We'd we'd sing that eight track tape and we'd listen to all those songs and 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 Harold Reed, the bass singer, died a few weeks ago and I went back and started listening to songs I hadn't listened to in twenty five years. And man, they sounded better today than they did back then. <laughs> I want to tell you, beloved, the singing this morning sounded sweeter than it sounded two months ago. The singing this morning sounded better than anything I've heard over the past couple of months since we've been, since we've been in captivity, since we've been away from the house of God. No song sounds better than one that has lain silent for so long. And it's interesting here. <laughs> it says that it was such a noise that they made. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, our tongue with singing, and it made it, not only were they rejoicing, but <clears throat> they made such a noise that it caught the ear of the heathen living round about them. It said, then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. <laughs> I like that. O over in the second chapter of Mark, uh, as, uh, as Jesus was preaching in a house there, we're told, and I think it's the second verse of Mark 2, says, and it was noise that he was in the house. 
It was noise that Jesus was in the house. I want to tell you, beloved, when Jesus is in the house, we ought to be making some noise about it. This ought to be something that's on the tip of our tongues. Everywhere we go, every time we see someone, you know, I, I, you know how it is when we start uh, striking up a conversation with somebody, usually what we start talking about is the weather or something like that, and that's because it probably is on our minds. But the thing that's on our minds is what we usually start talking about. Beloved, is the house of God on our minds? It, I, I'll tell you, sometimes I have to admit it's not. I'm thinking about the ball game or something else like that. But when I'm where I need to be, the house of God is on my mind. And before long, it comes up in the conversation. <laughs> Beloved, it ought to be noised that Jesus is in our house. And these heathen heard about it. These heathen heard about it. When the Lord brought back their captivity, they began to hear the singing and the laughter. <laughs> And then the best part of this whole psalm is verse 3. Remember what the heathen said? The heathen said, the Lord has done great things for them. And now they're kind of sitting back watching it like a story. You know, they're kind of sitting back there, wow, look over there. Look at what's happening. It looks, looks to me like the Lord's moving among them. Now remember, this is a people that said, we're, we're like them that dream. We think we're dreaming here. You know what the best part of this dream is? It's not a dream. It's not a dream. Look at verse 3. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. I want to tell you, beloved, this dream that they thought they were having was not a dream. It was really true, and we are not dreaming today. Let me say to you, we are not living in a dream. In a sense that this is like a dream, yes, but this is not a dream. God really has done great things for us. God really has worked among us as His people. In the day that the Jews wrote, that the writer wrote this about the Jews, they had been delivered from an awful captivity. They had been delivered from 70 years of oppression down in a pagan land. Beloved, today, have we not been delivered from a form of captivity? <laughs> I'll tell you, in, in, in one sense, before 2011 here at this church, most of us had no idea where Zion Church was or what it stood for or anything like that. Aunt Lorene was living in a nightmare. <laughs> no, not really, but she was worried about the future. She had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea that I would be here preaching on this homecoming day. I had no idea most of you would be seated out there in the pews or members of this church or attending regularly. But praise God, after 2011, after a long time of wandering in the wilderness of the religious world, beloved, I came home to Zion Church. I was delivered from captivity. I was delivered from the places. I had some great experiences in those previous churches. They were a blessing to me and I learned so much, but I've never experienced what I've experienced here over the past eight or nine years. Praise God. I feel like I'm one that dreams. And today, today, I feel like I'm dreaming again because I miss you. I tell you, beloved, this last two months have been have been tough. They've been difficult. They've been hard. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I'm able to go to church, I usually act better <laughs> during the week. You, you leave me out of church for any period of time, and next thing you know, I'm going to be 
hard to deal with, and don't y'all say a word. I don't want to hear it, okay? <laughs> don't, don't mention this morning. Things didn't go just right this morning, and whoo, anyway, but praise God, I feel delivered today. Today, I believe, I have, and I hope you have discovered, rediscovered, rather, the joy that comes with gathering in God's house. <laughs> We've been delivered. We've been delivered from the COVID captivity, right? <laughs> hey, forget about the Babylonian captivity. We've been in the COVID captivity, and now we've been delivered from it. I realize it's still circulating out there, but praise God, we're able to be here today. And we are not dreaming. You know what else? It doesn't stop in verse 3. It goes on to teach us another lesson, and that's this. Not only has God delivered in the past, but he will continue to, to deliver in the future. Notice that we worship a God who still delivers today. Look, look at verse 4. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You know what he's saying here? He's in verse 4, he said, Lord, you, you remember that Babylonian captivity thing that we just went through and you delivered us from it? Turn again our captivity. We still got problems. You know, when they got back to the, to the land of Israel, they didn't just snap their fingers and a temple was built. They didn't just go back there and say, let's just, uh, you know, wave our wand, hocus pocus, and now we have a city and buildings and homes. In fact, you'll read about all kinds of troubles they experienced even after they went back, after the deliverance from the captivity in Babylon. They went back and they had troubles even afterwards. Beloved, even when the Lord delivers us from a great captivity, we need Him to deliver us again. We don't need to stop asking him for deliverance. It says, Lord, turn again our captivity. And notice, as the streams in the south. Now, now you, need to, you need to understand what he's talking about there. That word, the, the term the south, is a reference to the Negev desert. And that, in fact, that's the literal word there is the Negev in, in, uh, in Hebrew. And the Negev, the south, was, a, was the wilderness. You know, you heard about John coming and preaching in the wilderness and, and Jesus going into the wilderness. Well, that wilderness was not like a lush green forest. It was a desert land. That's what they called the wilderness in that day. And you think about it. What's the, I, I was watching a, a thing on the um, Discovery Channel last night about the Sahara Desert. And what's the key, the key ingredient to a desert or the lack of a key ingredient? It's water, right? <laughs> You don't have water. That's what makes it a desert. <clears throat> That's why you got the sand and you got people dying and, 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 and starving to death out there for water, you see, because it is a desert. And notice what, what the prayer is here. Lord, you've delivered us. We, we're so thankful for that. And, and that ought to be our prayer today. Praise God for his deliverance. But, but God's people need a continual deliverance. And Lord, turn our captivity again. Keep on delivering us, Lord, just like you can send streams of water into a desert land. 
You remember, you remember the question that uh, the, the Jews asked uh, Moses over there in, a, in Psalm 78 tells us about it. You don't have to turn there, but, but in the uh, time of their wandering in the wilderness, they turned to Moses and in a very questioning way, in a way that was uh, not, not reverent at all. They were saying, can the Lord furnish a table in the wilderness? In other words, we don't believe he can. You know what God did? He said, Moses, you see that rock right there? Yes, sir, I see it, Lord. Moses, I'm going to bring water out of that rock. Moses says, Lord, water out of a rock? Now, I'm paraphrasing all this, of course. You go read it. This is my version of that, but it's in the Word of God. And he says, yes, out of the rock. But, Lord, the the very nature of a rock is that it doesn't have water in it. (laughs) I mean, that's the very nature of rockness, isn't it? You know, you you don't have water. If it was water, it'd be different. You know, that's, that'd be something else. But yet, in the midst of that desert land and that wilderness, he said, you strike that rock, and he struck that rock, and the water came flowing out. It came gushing out. It wasn't just some trickle of water either. You read Psalm 78 sometime, and you'll, you'll understand that it was water as from the great depths that he, he brought out of there. I, I, always, I, I never can, can mention that without mentioning the well on my grandmother's place there on the farm, down below her house, there was a well. It's, and unfortunately, it's, it's gotten sandy now, and we can't use it anymore. But, boy, back in the day when, uh, when we'd be working all day, and we'd get about mid-afternoon, it would be so hot. It would be so, I'd be so tired, and we'd take a break, and I'd go straight for that well because she had a, she had a hose hooked up, not to, the, not to the big tank, but a hose that was coming straight out of the depths down there. And you let that run for just a few minutes, a few seconds, and it would be the best water you've ever drunk. Isn't that right, Mr. Hayward? That was the best water you'll ever see anywhere, ever drink anywhere. And I'll tell you, the water that God brought out for them in the desert was better than that. <laughs> it was water from the great depths. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the desert, in the south. We've <clears throat> God's people need a continual deliverance. And, and, and look at this type of deliverance. That's a miraculous deliverance. That, that's a miraculous. It said, uh, you, you're walking through the desert and you're praying to God, Lord, I'm starving of water. I'm dying of thirst. Please, can you help me? And suddenly you look up and here comes a stream of water. You didn't do anything to get that, did you? <laughs> Praise God, that was all on him. God can do that. God has done that. But also notice this in verse 5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Now notice here there's something for us to do. There's something for us to do, okay? The first type of deliverance is a miraculous deliverance. This type of deliverance is a providential deliverance. He didn't say to those Jews that went back, you know, they they returned from captivity and they went back over there and he said, I want you to build me a temple. I want you to build the temple back. And they got over there and they started working and then they stopped. They quit because they were made to quit by uh, by the authorities. And that's another story and another message for another day. You read about it in the book of Haggai sometime. And the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra. But they stopped for about 15 years. (laughs) They, they decided, okay, well, we can't do this. We'll build ourselves some nice houses. And then, by the way, we'll get back to that one of these days. Now, now, no doubt some of them thought, well, if the Lord wants it, he'll have it. 
you know, if the Lord wants it to happen, it'll happen. That's that old absolute idea of if it is to be, it will be. You know, I heard, an, I heard a preacher one time say, I believe what is to be will be if it don't never happen. Yeah, y'all think about that. You'll figure it out in a minute. But a little bit of the illogic there. But my, my point is this, is that, is that there are things God expects us to do in our walk with him. Listen, there's no, you can't do a thing to get born again. There's nothing you can do. A dead man can't operate or function in the realm to which he's dead. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Until you have the Spirit, you can't walk in the Spirit. But once you've been given the Spirit, once you've been called from death to life in Christ, once that sovereign act of a sovereign God has borne you again, then there are many, many things that you and I need to do in order to walk properly with him. And there's a principle of sowing and reaping. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap to the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap to the Spirit. And what he's saying here is, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Notice the miraculous deliverance of the streams in the desert is often coupled with the providential deliverance of working and patiently serving God. In that first way, God operates or works suddenly and unexpectedly and in a way that doesn't depend on human efforts. And in the second way, he works sometimes through our efforts, through working and waiting. In other words, I'll give you a good example. If you're sick, pray for healing, but go to the doctor. Okay, <laughs> go to the doctor. You know the story. I, I know it's a joke, but it gets a good point across about the, the man who was caught in the floodwaters. And he was sitting on his front porch as they came by in a Jeep. And the authorities said, come on, man, the waters are rising. He said, no, no. He said, I trust the Lord. He'll deliver me. And then the next time he came along in a boat, and he had, he had gotten up on the second floor of his home. And they said, come on. Friend, get in the boat. We'll save you. He said, I trust the Lord. He's going to deliver me. The next thing you know, he was on top of the roof. And the helicopter came by and the big bullhorn. They said, sir, grab the rope. We'll take you to safety. He said, I trust the Lord to save me. And the next thing you see him, he's at the pearly gates. <laughs> he's up there with St. Peter. And he, he, he comes walking up to St. Peter. And, and Peter looks at him and says, man, what in the world are you doing here? He said, well, I trusted the Lord to deliver me. He said, man, I sent you a Jeep, a boat, and a helicopter. What do you expect more? Now, I know that's, don't, don't, don't think that, I think that's good theology. I don't think St. Peter's sitting at the gate, okay? But it's a joke. But it gets the point across. God expects us to work and serve him. And usually the deliverance is a combination of both. I'll give you a good example as we sort of bring this down to a close. You remember in the second chapter of John, there was a wedding. And there were some, there were some big cisterns of, of, of wine that were emptied. And they ran out of wine. And they went to Jesus. His mother sent to Jesus said, they're out of wine. And, and he turns to the, to the servants in the kitchen and he says, fill these water pots with water. And you know what it says they did? 
They fill them up to the brim. You know what that teaches us? That teaches us that we ought to do all we can do. Right. We ought to do everything we can do. They could have filled them up halfway, and guess what? I, I suppose the Lord could have filled it on up, but what the Lord did, as you know, is he took what they had filled up and miraculously changed it into the best wine they'd ever had. They put a gallon in there, they'd have had a gallon of wine, I believe. They put halfway up, they'd have had a half a cistern of wine, but instead they had a full jar of wine, several full jars, because they did all they could do. They couldn't work the miracle. You know, that's kind of what preachers do, isn't it? It's kind of what we do as a church. We preach the word. We preach and we teach. We don't stop. We don't give up. But you know, someone asked the question one time of a big-time preacher, how many people have you saved eternally? What he meant, they meant by that question is how many people have you gotten born again in your ministry? And he mentioned some term up in the thousands. And um, I made the statement not too long later that, you know, I've saved as many people as he has. You know how many that is? Not one. Because the Lord has to do the saving. The Lord has to do the saving. All I can do is preach. All I can do is, is, is serve him. But it's in the hands of the Lord. But think about it this way. We believe that gospel is not that which delivers us eternally the gospel has no part in the new birth it has to be done by the holy ghost by the by the lord in john 5 25 it says verily i say unto you the hour is coming and now is when they which are dead shall hear the voice of the son of god and they that hear shall live not the voice of the preacher the voice of the Son of God. I can read you the words of the Son of God, but I can't speak in the voice of the Son of God. But praise God, the Son of God can speak to the heart of that one that's a baby in the womb about to be aborted before the abortion or scalpel reaches him. He can born one again. He can also touch the heart of a thief on the cross. He can touch the heart. He can speak to the heart of one who is on the road to Damascus, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church of God and turn that one, change that one's heart. I can preach about it. I can teach you that. But I can't make you be born. I can't born you again. But the Spirit can. But think about this. What if there's one out there that I, Brother Buddy or I, had an opportunity to preach to about the unsearchable riches of Christ? We had an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with them. Maybe at the time they had never been born again. They weren't interested. But we had an opportunity to share with them. And somewhere a few months down the road, the Spirit of the Lord overpowers them and borns them by a sovereign act of God. <clears throat> you know that one that we had an opportunity to preach to but, but didn't? He's going to be in heaven because he's a child of God. He's born again. He's a child of God. But oh, what a, he's wandering in the wilderness of this world, lost. I don't mean in the sense the religious world talks about lost and going to hell. I'm talking about lost, a sheep that's lost. Still a sheep, but lost. Doesn't know about, if we had just preached to him, he'd know what had happened to him. 
And then think about that one that we did preach to, that one that, that we did take the opportunity to share with the gospel of the unsearchable riches of Christ. It wasn't born again. It seemed to you or me to fall on deaf ears. Sometime down the road, the Lord borns him again, and he thinks, man, I remember what Buddy Abernathy said about this. Maybe that's what's happened to me. I'm going to go find him, or I'm going to go find you, and I'm going to talk to you about it, and that one may be delivered from a captivity that's not the captivity of hell, but the captivity of this world and the world's way of thinking. See what I'm talking about? Do all that we can do. The Lord's got to turn the water into wine, but we can fill it up to the brim, can't we? Let me ask you a question as we bring this to a close. Do you feel like we're dreaming here this morning? I tell you what, I feel like I've been in captivity. Are we as excited as we ought to be? I I see your faces. I'm not questioning that because I see how excited you are. But are we as excited as we ought to be? Are we making enough noise about Jesus and about what's going on here at Zion Primitive Baptist Church? (laughs) Listen, was church a drudgery to us? Was church ever a drudgery to me before this time? God forbid it should ever be again. I am so, you know, somebody said one time, oh, I have to go to church. Praise God, I get to go to church today. So what should we do in times like this, in times of captivity? Well, remember what God has done. Remember what he's done in the past. Remember how he has delivered us in the past. I'll tell you the things that, some of the things that spur me on when I get down and out, even as, as your pastor here, even as serving the Lord here at Zion, what spurs me on, I get forgetful. I do. I get forgetful. But I get to thinking sometimes about the, the time when this church began to revive and the time when people started seeing there was something here and the noise went out that Jesus was in the house. And the house began to grow, not in building size, but in people and in children of God. And I remember those times and I'm excited about it because I know God can do it again. And He continues to do it in our hearts. Keep on working. Serving Him. And expect God to turn your weeping into rejoicing. I know He's done that today for me. I I know. Listen, don't get me wrong. I use the term lightly. uh, The COVID COVID captivity. Because this ain't nothing compared to what our forefathers experienced. They hid in dens and caves. You know, they didn't know, they didn't know what Facebook was. <laughs> they probably were better off. They didn't, have, they didn't have the ability to reach out across the miles and be able to be together in a virtual sense. This has been tough. I have not enjoyed it, and I know you haven't either. But it's no kind of persecution like has been experienced in the past. And I'm sorry to say there may be times of persecution coming in the future that are even worse than this. So when those times come, remember the good times. Pray for the Lord's continued deliverance and expect Him to turn your tears into rejoicing. You know, you can trust God with your tears. Psalm chapter 56 tells us that that our tears are in His bottle. He puts our tears in His bottle. You ever shed a tear and thought nobody noticed? God did. 
every tear you've shed, he said, thou put thy tears into thy bottle. <laughs> Are they not in thy book? Every tear you've shed, every lonely night you've spent, the Lord knows all about it. Praise God that he has delivered us again. He's done it again. We're back. I believe the captivity's over for now. I believe the troubles that we're experiencing will continue to some extent, but praise God, we're, we're able to be back together. And I feel like one that dreams. Don't wake me up. This is a good dream. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.